everybody. Welcome to the Booze Room. We are back. It's the OG3. Not stuck with just Emily and I today. It, Bradley, Dr. Bradley J. Hines is back. We're Brad excited. Is back in the house. Hey, yo. Got rid of my uh, show junkie last week on the show circuit, and now I'm back to the real world. Which is, which is good. I mean, we're, we're, we're welcoming you back. Hopefully, everything went well at the show. And well, yeah, you how did your it, kids do, Bradley? They did good. Uh, you know, it, it's a little county fair, and yeah. Uh, yeah, they did well. They weren't champions, but you don't need to be uh, champions uh, all the time. Did, Not everybody did your oldest be. show his cow? He did show a cow, 10 days fresh. She was maybe a little on the heavy side, a little carrying a little condition for the show, but she's milking that off now. I am a dairy farmer as well, milking one cow in the morning and the evening. <laughs> <laughs> Your son's Jersey cow. Yeah, that's right. That's awesome. ah, well, I'm glad that you take work home with you, at least. I do work, take work home with me. <laughs> Good deal. Well, we're, we're back to continue our discussion on mastitis. Emily and I started that last week. Uh, today, we figured we'd come back to it because we have our tenured professor here with us today, and it's important to get his take on it as well. So we're going to be talking a little bit, again, another potpourri episode a little potpourri. bit on, on mastitis so that we can we can cover the bases because there's things that we didn't get to last week and we should cover them before we have real experts on uh in the future as guests so yeah and i think a thing that we didn't really cover much i can't even remember if we mentioned it right but also we're really glad to have bradley here as we talk a little bit more about mastitis management on organic herds because of course i think whenever we think mastitis we're just like Put a tube in her. Not that that's bad. Um, make sure it's the right one. Culture your milk. You know, of course, in an organic setting, that is not an option. Uh, and there are other methods or, or different treatments that can be used in organic um, that may also be an option for, for some of the conventional dairy farmers out there too, right? I We were saying this before we kind of got started. Anything that an organic dairy does, a conventional dairy can also do. It doesn't work and vice versa though, uh, as, as organic dairies can't use what, Brad? Antibiotics. Yes. Antibiotics. Antibiotics. I was mocking Bradley for how he pronounces it, which is mean of me. But, uh, so that's really a big reason why we're glad to have Brad back, other than just that we missed him a lot. And I think, you know, when we talk organic, like Emily said, you know, when, whenever I've been involved in, with organic farms, it's just a big focus for me on, on prevention. And hopefully Bradley can back me up on that, that there's, because you're limited in what you can do for treatment, you just have to focus so much on preventing things from being a problem in the first place. Prevention is, is my number one, whether you're organic or conventional, you want to prevent mastitis from happening, obviously. You know, it affects lots of different things, even somatic cell count in the bulk tank. If you're having to dump a lot of milk, uh, you name it. Uh, and even from an organic perspective, you know, we get paid a little bit more money for lower somatic cell count. So it's even imperative for organic farmers to pay more attention to mastitis and somatic cell count than what it is. So, but for me, prevention is number one, trying to prevent mastitis from happening is much better than trying to look for a treatment. That seems to be our general theme here on the Moose Room, right? Prevention. 
But, but what do we do about it? How do we prevent things? That's what everybody's going to ask. Well, yeah, how do we prevent it? Well, think- if it's on a dairy farm, it usually comes back to the C word. The C word. We want you Cleanliness. to be a C Cleanliness. You are <laughs> yeah, correct. Yeah, be a C word. Be clean. Be clean. And, it, yeah, and, and we talked a lot about that last week when we are talking clean and dry pretty much everywhere if you can, which, like we said, that's easy to say, harder to do. That that's really what we talked about. I think today we're going to try to get into some of the more I would consider control monitoring kind of things that we can do, as well as talk a little specifics on things that are specific to the organic operation that Brad runs up in Morris, and and talk about how that could also apply to a conventional dairy. I know the big one that we didn't really even we didn't we touched on it, but we didn't really go into it last week was culturing, and I know Bradley f- told us before we started here that he's running the. University of Minnesota Easy Culture System. Give us a little overview of how that's helped you, Brad. I tell you how we really started about it is because in our conventional herd, we use antibiotics and we can use that for mastitis. Part of the reason was we were just using different drugs to treat without really knowing what bugs these cows had, whether they had E. coli or staph or some other infection. We were just using the same thing. And we all know that some of those drugs tend not work for some, but not for others. And it was like, well, we're wasting a lot of money uh, on drugs when we don't really need to. About a year ago, we actually started using the Minnesota Easy Culture System. It's uh, from the University of Minnesota. We use the tri-plate system. So it has three plates or three sections on on the culture plate. And you can do this actually on farm. You know, you don't need to send it into a vet or send it you can do this yourself. I bought a little incubator off Amazon for a couple hundred bucks and we use the cultures because you have to incubate them uh, overnight. And basically we started culturing our own so we can figure out what sort of, or get an indication of what sort of pathogen is there. This culture system, we're able to detect gram negative and gram positive, uh, and we can detect maybe some staph or strep species, things like that. So it's really helped us to sort of hone in on what mastitis pathogens our cows have because not every cow has the same one. Well, and and it really lets you focus on treatment like like Brad's talking about because you don't need to treat every mastitis. Uh, If you grow uh, gram negative or there is a no growth on that plate, you don't need to put a tube in that cow. And that can save you quite a bit yeah, it's not necessary to treat gram negatives with a tube or the ones that don't have any uh, growth that show up on the plate. So it, it's really, really effective in helping you cut down, be a little more judicious with that antibiotic use. And I think that's helped us as well, because sometimes we get, you know, if you see maybe a few flakes in a cow, we test it. And if there's no growth, it's like, well, then we don't need to treat it. And we didn't waste our money on treating a cow and dumping her milk for three or four days when we maybe didn't really need to. So that's probably helped us as well. You know, Emily knows how uh, much our somatic cell count bounces around out here on this dairy. We have uh, our challenges, as some dairies do, but we're pretty consistently below 200,000 for the last six months since we've really started putting more of a judicious effort into culturing and using the right antibiotics and sort of watching it more. So that really helps us uh, in our in our conventional herd. We also culture the organic cows too, just to see what mastitis bug is there we can't treat them 
but we can at least find out what's there and what's going on. Well, that's super important. I mean, you got to know what bug is there because that that gets into what Emily uh, and I were talking about last week with environmental versus contagious and being able to find uh, the source of some of that mastitis and get ahead of it and go find the cause of where it's actually coming from. And then call cows if you need to based on what you find. Yes. And if you know what the issue is, then you can work to prevent future problems. Ah, um, but I do want to back up slightly. So Bradley, you were saying how your conventional herd right now is about um, 200,000 for somatic cell count. And, and Joe and I talked ever so briefly about somatic cell count um, on the last episode, but we didn't really dive into the numbers and, and what the numbers mean and, and what's good, what's bad, you know, what, what should people kind of be shooting for? And of course there are, there are standards set forth for this. And then there are also individual co-ops or creameries have what they prefer to see. So who wants to kick off that conversation? I'll tell you what my goal is. My goal is to be around 200,000 or less. That's what I really like to see all the time. Now that is certainly not happening. In our organic herd, I like to be at 300,000 or less. That's the, the real goal is to be lower than that. That has its challenges uh, all the time, but that's what I like to set as goals. Now, some people could think of me and go, oh, 200,000, that's way too high. I need to be less than 100,000. Well, I think every farm is different. I should say pasture-based herds, not necessarily organic, but pasture-based herds tend to run a little bit higher because the cows are out in the environment. A pasture herd is probably going to be a little bit higher, but you know, our conventional herd, as I look today, it's 150,000. So we're outside outdoors and we're doing quite well. Our organic herd is about three, a little over 300,000 right now. So it's uh, kind of uh, challenging uh, to figure out what's going on. You know, for me and, and the work that I've done in extension and prior to that related to somatic cell count and that kind of milk quality on dairies. Yeah, I mean, I think that if it's a really big problem in the herd, conventional, organic, pasture-based, whatever it may be, you know, that 200,000 is a good goal to get to to start. But then, yeah, I, I like to see it hovering around 100, um, you know, up to 150. And yeah, you, you get those dairies, and we were talking about that a little bit last week, Joe, that, I mean, they're in the double digits solidly always. But yeah, so I would say that 150 to 200 range, that's, you know, you're not going to have to worry about penalties or, or other issues uh, with your co-op or your creamery, wherever you're sending your milk. And I do know that there has been some different issues in trying to switch what the actual standard is. So what is the absolute highest that will be accepted at a plant? And I know that they had tried, I was maybe still in college or very, very early in my extension career. They were trying to get it from 750 to 400. Mm -hmm. That was not, not happening then. And I exactly. honestly don't know, is it still 750, which is yes. bonkers high. It is high. Personal opinion. And, and Brad, tell me, is there, are there different standards for organic milk? This is something I don't know. Like, can you, or is 750 for all milk? Well, it's, it's, yes, you can't go above that, but obviously they have, because they have to follow European standards. So you have a rolling three months of 
you can't be over 400,000. So there are some standards there. I like to think about it a little more from an economic standpoint and a dollar value because in our organic, obviously the lower your somatic cell count, no matter if you're conventional or organic, the more premium you're gonna get. Organics, uh, it's at 300,000. So if you're running average 300,000 for the month, you get no premium. If you go over 300, they deduct. And if you're under, then the more premium you get. So that's why I like to say 300,000 or lower for organic, otherwise they start taking premium away. And you don't, why take money away from your milk truck if you don't have to? You know, it's, it's kind of free bonus money for you doing a good job with prevention or cleanliness. Like Brad said, if you can, if you can get there and, and most of what we're talking about is, I mean, it's hard work keeping cows clean and dry and comfortable. Um, but just doing that alone and then, and working hard in the parlor to, to prep correctly and milk correctly and do that kind of thing. You can, you can get there. Now, the only thing that I add to that, and I, we haven't really addressed it last week or yet today would be chronic cows. That's my first step. When I look at somatic cell, uh, at least in my opinion, that's where I love, I go first. If I have a high somatic cell, I start looking for who's been high for a while, who's always high and, and, and comes and goes, but, but has repeated offenses. So I, I look for chronic cows when I'm starting to look at that kind of thing. If you run some numbers on it, it can be pretty surprising how big a percentage of the somatic cell count one cow can account for in a tank, especially on some of our smaller herds. So uh, right. And I've first. seen, you know, individual tests of chronic cows and they're regularly a million over a million. And it's like, yeah, if you get rid of this one cow and again, especially if it's a smaller herd, you can drop your cell count by, you know, five, 600 just from one cow in some cases. So, yeah, I would agree. The chronic cows are the problem. I, so I got a story. I always got stories, right? Isn't yeah, it? story time. Story, story time. time with Bradley. <laughs> you know, when I started here 10 years ago, it'd actually be 10 years in 10 days that I started here in Morris. But Aww. You're so old. I know, exactly. We'll have to not have a, a party when we yeah, can all be together. Not yeah. a young guy anymore. Somatic cell count was was high. And about a year after I started, we were just having consistently six to 700,000 somatic cell counts, and it was bad. So I talked to our, our colleague, Jeff Renault. Some people might know Jeff Renault. He's wrong, yeah. part, but he's uh, the good mastitis guy. He did lots of stuff with mastitis. And so we set out, we cultured every single cow here uh, at our dairy, and it came back 30% positive for Staph aureus, which was wow, what, what do you do there? And so we set out to sort of cure that. And that goes back to the chronic cows. Those staph aureus cows were chronic cows. So I just set off and we started calling cows, uh, not a large number, but we started uh, cherry picking the cows and getting rid of those high chronic cows. We have very little staph aureus in our herd now. There's, it's still here, but not, not very much anymore. But I was calling cows with four and five million somatic cell counts that were milking 90 pounds a day. So I was calling good cows, but I just had to, to get rid of that staph aureus. And I know that's a tough one. I've worked with some farms before, and it's hard to go into even a, say a small 60 cow herd and go, yeah, you need to call five to eight, 10 cows because it's bad. And that's a and tough And especially one. when they're those good high production cows. Exactly. That 
that can be hard, but you know, like you've said before, Brad and Joe and I were talking about this last week too, you know, with most things on the farm, it kind of comes down to economics and yeah, she's, she's making you money, but she's also losing you money and, and hurting things for you overall too. So sometimes you, you just have to make those tough decisions. You always hear that. It's like, it's always the good cow. It's always the good cow that has these issues. And sometimes it is because the, if they milk more, they're at higher risk for a lot of those kind of things. They have more stress on them uh, metabolically. And so they're, they are, they are at higher risk for those kind of things. And it does tend to be those cows that we need to watch out for. Staph aureus is, is a pain. You know, we, we mentioned prototheca last week being a huge pain to deal with uh, for kind of different reasons than staph aureus, but staph aureus is contagious. Uh, and cows don't necessarily, they're not always high. They kind of roller coaster on you with their somatic cell count uh, and they can kind of fly below the radar a little bit uh, and can, and while they're doing that, continue to infect other cows. It's an issue uh, and staph aureus is a tough one to deal with, but culturing uh, is a great way to go. You can treat, there are treatment options in a conventional dairy for staph aureus. Cure rates are uh, fairly low uh, compared to a lot of other bacterial mastitis organisms. So it's a tough one. And I, I don't like seeing that, but it, yeah, getting a handle on it is, is a process of culture, treat, and and calling to, to get a handle on it. And you can drop your somatic cell significantly by doing that. Mm -hmm. I, I would say one other, so we've ca called culling cows is a, a good way to help reduce those. We've also started vaccinating animals for mastitis. We use, so we, Sometimes in the winter time, uh, our cows will get some nasty E. coli cases, and those are like the death of a cow. You know, some we have lost some cows because of E. coli. So, actually, today we are vaccinating for E. coli. Uh, so we're using a, a J5 vaccine uh, for our cows to see if we can, you know, make a difference and, and sort of help reduce mastitis due to E. coli because E. coli's are the worst in my book for a mastitis, it just can really kill a cow and really reduce production really fast. Yeah, E. coli or, or those gram negative, like what would you would consider that toxic mastitis? So yes. E. coli, Klebsiella, those kind of things that, that you see that, that quarter get hot and heavy watery mastitis uh, where the, the cow is affected systemically. Uh, that, that is a killer and the vaccine is, is great. And it, it doesn't necessarily reduce incidence of, of cases or the prevalence of how many cases you're going to have, but it reduces the clinical signs when they do mm -hmm. get or do have a case of mastitis so that you, you're not losing cows. You're not, you're not, you don't have deaths. Right. Yeah. I'm not saying this is going to cure it, but uh, it, it might help prevent at least the really bad cases if, if we do get a case, or at least it's not going to kill a cow, I hope. Oh, it, so. it definitely works and it works well. Uh, I, I'm a big proponent of it. And I think we, I don't know if we've ever talked about it on, on this show, but organic dairies, I think some, so there's some perception out there that organic dairies can't use vaccines. Uh, and that is totally untrue. And I, I am a huge, huge proponent of vaccines in general. Bradley might argue with me on that statement, whether I'm a proponent of vaccines, but I, especially on organic dairies, they are crucial, crucial to success because you, you have to take advantage of every tool you have on the prevention side. I agree. We, we vaccinate 
for some mastitis, we vac, you know, like I said, we've talked before about vaccinating calves and stuff, and we do use more vaccines uh, here just because I think it helps from a preventative standpoint. Yeah, and I, culturing is a huge piece of this, especially when you're worried about coliform mastitis. So that would be E. coli or Klebsiella mainly, because the vaccines that we have available for E. coli mastitis don't necessarily cover for Klebsiella, uh, which is very unfortunate, but there are specific Klebsiella vaccines that are available if you need to go down that road. But the first step is knowing which one you have. So culturing will be able to help you with that and identify that on your gram negative section of your plate. You know, one of the other things that we do use around here is we could put a sensor in it. You know? Oh yeah, always. When, I haven't said I that in a waiting. long time. I was <laughs> waiting for that. Ugh. Put uh, a, sensor a sensor in it. In it. Uh, we we have some unique sensors out here that we can, you know, so I have the affy milk system in our parlor. Now, not every farm has affy milk, but there are some producers that have affy milk. So we can use that has conductivity in it. So, you, which is sort of an indication of mastitis. So we can look at conductivity in our cows to see who maybe has some mastitis issues and some of the other sensor systems. If a cow really has bad mastitis, it may start picking that up maybe 12 hours before you see clinical signs you you know they'll see a drop in rumination or drop in eating behavior you know the cow's getting sick and uh, so that's where you'd pick it up there it's not foolproof by no means but we can go back and look and go oh yeah she started not feeling so great there and there's clinical mastitis so not saying that the the sensor is not going to say yep this cow has mastitis it maybe is going to give you an indication of there's something not right with this cow, maybe you need to watch her or check her out. Yeah. And I, you know, to follow up on sensors and, and technology in general, I think it's important to note that that stuff is so, it's super helpful. If you have access to it, it's great, right, but right. there is so much you can do with just paper records and tests as well. You no, know, I agree. I, it's, it's amazing how simple it can be. Most of the time when I, we, we start with a somatic cell issue on a dairy from the veterinary side, the first thing we do is like, wait, I need to see records. I need to see cows. I want to see who's high, how long they've been high, how much they're contributing to the tank. And even if you have paper records, I can find that, but you should be opening your reports that you get from DHIA. Cause usually I find a drawer of just unopened envelopes uh, of reports when that's where I, where I start is trying to find uh, where's the most recent unopened envelope. And that's where I usually try to go. Uh, and it, there's so much information there on paper records that can get you started. It's a little more work to work through That's them. That's the reason they still send them to you. Yeah. So big, you know, I'll put my plug in for testing, especially on some of our smaller farms, just to have a handle on that. I agree. You want to test, you know, DHI does provide that somatic cell count test to, to be able to do that if you don't have access to some of these other technology items. And yeah, how will you know what cows are causing the problem if you don't test them really? I see it on dairies a lot where, where people aren't looking for mastitis, so they don't find it, right? It's hard to find it if you're not looking for it, if you're not stripping and, and, and looking to see what's there and really paying attention in the parlor. And yeah, you can have pretty low clinical mastitis if you're not looking for it. It can sit there and be there, uh, but you got to look for it to start. That's, that's step number one. Make sure you're identifying cows that potentially have it, culturing, but even just stripping in the parlor to make sure you're looking for it. Now, if you have robots, maybe different. True, no robots true. that if you have robots, this is where your sensors and conductivity are going to help to be able to 
to figure out what's going on there because you're not out with the cows, you can't strip them. So you're looking for decreased rumination, decreased activity, and maybe high conductivity to tell you which cows are have uh, clinical mastitis. And that's that's for robot herds. So that's there is technology to do that if if you do have robots. Emily promised that we'd start talking about organics at some point here when we're talking about water options for organic farmers. We've said prevention, vaccine, culture, those are all things you can do to prevent slash control. What about treatment on an organic dairy? What do we have available? So there's maybe a few things that you can do. I think some farms use frequent stripping. So that's maybe not necessarily a treatment. You can frequently strip out the quarters to help clear the mastitis. Some farms use, and we we do on our organic dairy, use a, a lotion or a peppermint minty lotion to be able to maybe increase blood flow to the udder uh, to help reduce swelling. So it, obviously if you have mastitis, you're gonna have a swollen quarter. So we re- try to reduce the swelling, increase circulation to help fight that off. There's also another product that we can use. I won't get into it, but there is some recent research done where you can use a, a sort of an injectable into a cow's udder that contains some olive oil and other things that may help with the prevention of, of mastitis uh, in organic animals. There's lots of things, but it, like I said, it comes back down to prevention and that's probably cleanliness. Last question before we wrap, because we, we've got some time constraints today. Someone has to leave us. Organic dairies, can they use, can they use an internal teat sealant at dry off? No, they cannot use an internal teat sealant. Those are not approved. Not okay. yet. I, I've tried to get look at, have them look into it to get it approved, but they are not. And I think if we were able to get them approved, that might provide benefit, but uh, no, not, hmm. not allowed. You're in such a unique position having the organic and the conventional side by side. It, it'd be nice to see if we could look at indications of maybe broader health during the dry period that would allow us to see, is it something that's coming a lot from that dry period that, that's hurting the somatic cell count. Right. Okay. Well, good. I think we've got all sorts of stuff that we talked about today. There's, there's plenty more when we go down this road of milk quality uh, and mastitis. We'll, we'll have guests on. We'll talk about more in depth. We still have to get to, to dry cow therapy. That's something that's coming up over and over again, and we need to, need to address it. But today, I think we're going to wrap it because that is plenty to think about. Potpourri. Nice potpourri of mastitis prevention <laughs> control treatment. If you have questions, comments, scathing rebuttals, send them to the Moosroom at umn.edu. That's T-H-E-M-O-O-S-R-O-O-M at umn.edu. In addition to that, you can find us on the website at extension.umn.edu and on Facebook at UMN Beef and at UMN Dairy. Thank you for listening, everybody, and we will catch you next week. Bye. Yeah. yeah. Like, we just can't you know, use antibiotics. Right. And certain certain man-made. Why you say things. that very weird, Bradley? What do you mean? Say antibiotics. 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 That's basically what you're saying. Antibiotics. Antibiotics. You're making fun I'm Bradley J. Hyde. Thrills don't apply to me. I can say words however I want. Mm-hmm.